Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. We're continuing our series of messages that we started last week on what imprint, what, um, what mark are we making? What is it that we are about? What are we trying to impact the world around us with? And really asking the question, what is it required of us to make sure we get right? That if we get nothing else right, that we get this right, we have succeeded. Or if we get all kinds of things right, but we mess up in this, we have failed. And so that's what we're looking at over these next few weeks is what is it that we must be about? What is it that is the essence of who we are as a church and as individuals? And so last week we talked about our purpose statement, that we exist to glorify God by leading people to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And we really just focused on that first phrase, we exist to glorify God, that if everything else fails and we glorify God, we have accomplished our purpose. That that is the end, that is the start place, that is the beginning and the finish of who we are and what we are about as a church and as individuals. That it is all about the Lord, glorifying and exalting Him. So this week we're going to talk about the standard for that, the basis for that. And we're going to, it's not really continuing in that purpose statement because this is what underlies that. It gives us an understanding of where we stand on it. And so today we're going to talk about that we are a people, that we are people who believe, stand on, and live under the authority of God's Word. That the basis for what we do at First Baptist Church Goodlettsville is the Word of God. Now we are people that believe the Bible. We believe it is true, that it is written According to God's plan, that it is inerrant, that means there's no error in it, that it is infallible, that means that it is truthful in everything it says, it is absolutely right. And we stand on that, we believe that. It is the foundation of who we are as individuals, it is the foundation of who we are as a church, and we live under the authority of the Word of God. Which means that whatever it tells us to do, however it tells us to live, whatever it reveals to us about God and about ourselves, we live under that authority. That it is the ultimate guide for us in every area of life. Now I mentioned last week that the ultimate purpose of the Bible is not to be a guide book. That's not the ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose is to reveal to us the God who loves us and is in complete control of the universe and how he redeemed mankind. But in addition to being the book that primarily does that, it also gives us instruction and guide on how to live. And so as individuals, we put our lives up against the mirror, as James described it, of God's word, and we ask ourselves the question, are we living according to the standard that it sets? And if not, then we don't ask the Bible to adjust to us. We adjust to Scripture. As a church, it means that it is the foundation for everything that we do. In every way that we make a decision, in our leadership principles, our leadership decisions. 
that we have, yes, structural understanding as a church. We have uh, constitution and bylaws. We have personnel handbooks. We have general practices that we've done through the years. We have a committee structure system, and each committee is given certain tasks. But underneath all of that, the foundation of all of that is that we want to do everything we do biblically in accordance to the Word of God. How we treat one another, how we live that out, how we govern ourselves, how we interact as individuals, how we interact as leaders and those that are following as we interact as people who are living out God's word in community together as the people of God. We want to do it with the foundation of the word of God. And again, if that means when we hold up our structures and our decision-making and what we decide to do and how we decide to spend money and how we decide to move forward and the programs that that we focus on and the way that we live it out, when we hold it up to the mirror of God's Word, if what we are doing is not in alignment to God's Word, we don't shift God's Word to meet what we're doing. We shift what we're doing to meet God's Word. That's what it means that we believe, we stand on, and we live under the authority of God's Word. Why do we do that? Well, because Scripture speaks of itself and God's revelation to us is accompanied in a letter that is 66 books long to us as people. And in 2 Timothy Chapter 3, there are lots of places we could go. Hebrews chapter 4.12, that the Word of God is living active. It's a sword that divides the bone and marrow. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, he gives us the most clear declaration of what God's Word is. Verse 16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The first reason that we stand on God's Word... What I want to do is give you a reason we stand on God's Word, and then I want to give you a couple of things that this passage reminds us of that are important for us and a couple of challenges that come out of that. And the first thing and the reason that this won't be on the screen, but it's important for us to kind of set as the basis, the reason that we trust the Word of God as the foundation upon which we build our lives is because it says right there in verse 16 that all Scripture is inspired by God. Now what that word means, inspired, is literally breathed in, is breathed out. It is a the breath of God. It is the Word of God. It is the speaking of God to us. We have said multiple times over the years that I've been your pastor that The reality is, if God wanted us to know absolutely nothing about himself, we would not know anything about God. We cannot coerce 
or get stuff out of God about God. We cannot discover things about God that he does not first allow us to understand and does not first reveal to us. And what we have in Scripture is God breathing out revelation understanding of who he is the word revelation we use that word a lot there's even a book called revelation but there's the word itself means in the greek in the original it means unveiling i do i've done a couple of weddings in 20 plus years of ministry right i've been doing weddings since the late 90s it sounds so old now right and even in the late 90s, one of the traditions that's kind of gone away from weddings these days is the, the veil, right? You know, where they wear the veil and they come down and they lift the veil. They reveal who they are in that moment. Now, in reality, those veils, uh, at least the ones that I've seen in the past, weren't like generally like, you know, black, like where you couldn't see anything. It were lacy or decorative or whatever. But you get the picture that we're unveiling, we're pulling back. Well, what Scripture is, is the unveiling, the revealing, the letting us see who God is, how He acts. And I can't think of anything more important in the world if the God of the universe who created it all has spoken to us. I can't imagine anything more important than what He has said. All Scripture is inspired by God. But here's the truth. When Paul is writing to Timothy, this is when Timothy has taken on leadership, and Timothy is his son in the ministry, if you will, and he is telling him all of these things that would be good for him as he's leading people, and he's about leadership and what that looks like. And as he's teaching now, when he says Scripture there, he, at that moment, is primarily talking about the Old Testament scriptures that look forward to Jesus. But even by the time of Timothy, there were oral sayings or oral uh, accounts of who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. And those would have been what we consider, that would have been from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, would be considered the Gospels. And those were beginning to circulate in some way about this time. And maybe not written down, but told. And by the end of the first century, everything about Jesus and the Paul's letters and Revelation and all of that would have been written. And so when it says Scripture here, we can understand it to mean the teachings of the Old Testament and the teachings that have come of the life and the work of Jesus. And we believe that those books have been set aside and are for us in Scripture. We don't have time today to go into the full details of how I believe that all of that is working. What I can tell you is that I am confident beyond a reasonable doubt. I am confident in the fact that the book that you hold in your hand is the inspired word of God. The 66 books of the Bible, the Old Testament and New Testament, are God's words breathed out for us as humanity. And you can trust them. Now, we could get into it if you wanted to do three or four hours of critical analysis and commentaries that are thick, but I choose not to. And all of God's people said, Amen. We can trust it. And it is enough. And so here's the first observation that we see from this passage in 2 Timothy 3 that I want to make a recommendation out of. The first observation here is that the Word does the work. The Word does the work. 
by my reading, there are seven things in three verses that it tells us that the Word of God does, that Scripture does. It actually starts in the verse before this, and the first thing that the Word does is that it brings salvation. Verse 15, before that, it's not going to be on the screen, maybe. We may have it on there. Yeah, there it is. It says, and you know that from infancy, that's Paul writing to Timothy, you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is, since you were a boy, you've been taught these scriptures and these scriptures led you to a point where you were able to understand that Jesus was the promised Messiah and that you accepted who Jesus Christ was. I want to be very careful with my language here because we know that salvation comes from Jesus alone. Jesus only saves, right? We, we are going back to Brazil this summer. We're sending a group back to Brazil. We're going to have a meeting in two weeks at four o'clock in the afternoon for anybody that's interested in our international or our national. We're going to go, uh, we're, we're in conversation right now with Denver again about helping out Journey Point Church this summer, uh, going back there for the first time for both of those places in a couple of years for Brazil since the pandemic. And when we go to Brazil, one of the key things that we have to say again and again and again and again comes from Acts chapter 4 verse 12, that only Jesus saves. So I'm going to be very clear today in this, that I am not saying the Bible saves. What I am saying is that the Bible leads us to the point of understanding our need for and the solution to our sin problem and the remedy that comes in Jesus. In fact, the Bible itself says faith comes by hearing. How is hearing? Hearing comes by the Word of God. And so we see that in verse 15. It's this idea that, listen, the first thing that you understand is that the Bible, God's Word, is important for us because it gives us the story of redemption. In fact, someone has said that you could break the Bible down into simple story. Now, it's a complicated mix into all of that, but a simple story of creation and rebellion and redemption and recreation. That God created all things and all things were good and yet we chose to go our own path and rebelled against God and we have been striving and struggling our entire lives to get back to that status where we are good with God and God knowing that we could not do it ourselves sent His Son Jesus who came and lived the perfect life who lived the life that we could not live lived in our place and then died on the cross He died in our place and then on the third day He rose again from the grave He rose in our place and for us so that we could be made right again with God. And God is in the process of bringing together the culmination of history. And at some point in the future, and I hope it is the near future, He is going to return and He is going to establish a new creation. He is going to recreate it in perfection. And we will dwell with the Lord forever. That's a simple retelling of a complicated thing, but at its essence is the reality that the Word of God, the Bible, leads us to understand our need for a Savior and the remedy for our sin. Uh, I read a story this week about a missionary that was serving in a difficult part of the world. It was a country that's closed to the gospel and 
he was on the street having conversations with people. And if the conversation started to go pretty well, he showed them his New Testament. He had a New Testament and he would show that to them and say, this is a book and begin to explain them to him. And he, while he was doing that, a guy actually walked up to him and said, hey, I noticed that the book you have has really nice, thin pages. He said, those pages would be perfect for rolling cigarettes. And the guy said, what? The missionary said, those pages, could I, could I have that book? Because they would be perfect for rolling cigarettes. And the missionary thought for a moment, when you're on the mission field, you have to think through things quickly. He said, well, here's what I will tell you. I will give you this book if you will make a promise to me. If you promise that you will read a page before you roll it into a cigarette, I will give you the book. And the guy said, I can do that. He goes, no, I mean this, all right? Like, I will give you this book if you will promise me that you're going to read the page before you roll it into a cigarette. And he said, I promise you I'll do that. And so he gave him the book. A few weeks later, he ran into him on the street and he said to him, so did you keep your promise? And the guy said, yeah. He said, I started in the first book of Matthew and I smoked my way through Matthew, is the way the guy said it. He said, and then I smoked my way through Mark and I smoked my way through Luke. And he said, I was on my way through John when I got to chapter 3. And he said, I read verse 16. And he said, when I read verse 16, everything became clear. And I realized that Jesus was the answer to my sin. That guy accepted Christ. Now, I don't recommend smoking your way through the New Testament as the chosen evangelistic method, right? But the power of God's word is that it led him to a place of salvation. That guy's now training to be a pastor in his closed country. The Bible leads us to salvation. Secondly, the Bible instructs or teaches. So it says in verse 16, it's inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching. It teaches us who God is. It teaches us what He does. It teaches who we are. It teaches us who we are to be. It teaches us about the ways of the world and the ways of God. It instructs us. It gives us understanding. Now let me just say very clearly, that does not mean that I understand it all or that we as a church understand it all. There are still passages of Scripture that perplex me, concern me, even at times disrupt me. And I run up against things that maybe I wish said something else. But again, in those moments, I don't hold it up to my standards. I hold my standards up to it. And in those moments when I don't understand, I realize that I would much rather deal with the questions that are left unanswered by Scripture than the questions that are left unanswered by any other source. Because Scripture in its essence teaches us the most important aspects of who 
we are. Charles Colson is famous for talking about worldview. When he talks about worldview, he says everyone asks some basic questions. Where did we come from? What went wrong? Can it be fixed? And the Bible gives us the answer to all three of those questions. It instructs us and teaches us. Not only does it lead us to salvation, not only does it teach us, it also rebukes us, convicts us, reminds us when we're drifting, shouts at us when we are off the road. Most of you know I have four children, currently three teenagers. My oldest will turn 20 in less than a month. All of them at this moment are in the same decade from 10 to 19. And I've already had the privilege of helping my two oldest do something that I am turning over to Susan from now on. And that is instructing them how to drive a vehicle. I am not by nature a nervous person. But when you give the keys of your vehicle to your child who is 15 and entrust your life to them, your prayer life increases exponentially immediately. Can I get an amen from the parents that have gone through that? Amen. And we live on a road that's not particularly wide and our first driving lesson after we have done donuts in the car, I mean in the parking lot here, and I don't mean actual donuts like high speed, I'm just talking about Let's drive around slowly in a circle. Let's try a square. Let's, okay, parking is out of the question apparently because you just hit four cars trying to park in or would have if they were here. Like after we've accomplished the empty church parking lot, we then move to the road that we live on, which is not necessarily wide. And people have their mailboxes at the road. Now, on the road that I drive on, Loretta, the road behind Publix, which leads to our house, many of those are now multiply reinforced brick mailboxes because they have learned their lesson, perhaps with teenage drivers, I don't know. But those of you that have, maybe your kids weren't like this, those of you that have kids that have learned to drive, that you've taught them how to drive, my kids never really had a problem Going over the center line. Their problem was always drifting to where your side was on the side of the road, right? Can I, is that? Alright. And so as they would begin to drift, there were multiple responses from me. There was the, mm, 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 like the don't want to say anything yet, it's just kind of a little cautious. And then there's the, uh, Eli's starting to, starting to drift a little, he's starting to get a little, Get a little, hey, let's straighten, let's get back to the middle. Let's straight, straighten up. You're, you're fine in the middle. You got room in the middle. You can go back to the middle, right? And then there are the, you're about to hit the mailbox! Like, you know what I mean? Like, there are the levels of the, like, we're gonna kind of gently do this to, I'm going to lose my life if I don't tell him something right now, right? Am I, is this counseling session? I know. Anybody else with me on that, right? Been there? Okay. Well, God's Word is kind of like that with us. 
There are times when we're reading God's Word and we just kind of feel that little, mm, that little nudge, that little, hey, maybe straighten back up a little bit. There are times when we're starting to drift a little bit more than we should and we know it and we read God's Word and it's like, hey, get back, hey, hey. And there are times it has to scream at us. It's time to get back. God's Word corrects, convicts, changes us, as it says, reorients us, repositions us, gets us back on the right path. Because sometimes it's not just that we need a little nudge to stay off the side of the road. Sometimes we've taken a wrong turn. And it's like a GPS that has to recalculate and get us back on the right path. God's Word teaches, it convicts, it corrects, it trains, is what it says. It's great for training in righteousness. It helps us to understand where we need to go. It gives us the proper support we need to be able to live out the life that God has called us to do. It equips us, it says. It gives us what we need, the equipment we need to perform what we need to perform. It's like playing a sport and you've got to make sure you have all the right equipment. Or it's like starting a job and you need to make sure you have all the right skills and requirements and tools that you need to accomplish what you're doing. It is the equipping of us. And God's Word transforms us as it works in and through us by the renewing of our mind and of our heart and of our soul. And so God's Word leads us to salvation. It teaches us. It convicts us. It corrects us. It trains us. It equips us. It transforms us. It does the work. And so here's my challenge to you. Because if we want to be a church that lives under the authority and stands on the promises of God's Word, we have to be a church filled with individuals that know and love and live in God's Word. So here's my challenge to you today. Devour the Word of God like your life depends on it. Because it does. And our church does. We live in an age of distraction. Constantly having things bombard us. And it's so easy in the midst of that to let the Word of God be the thing that slips off to the side. I was reminded of the importance of it for our life in a strange place the other day. A few years ago when I was looking at end-of-year books There was a book on one of the end of year books that was called The Book of Strange New Things. It was recommended somewhere, Christianity Today or somewhere. It was a strange thing. It was a sci-fi book about a Christian minister that was sent to a planet to be a missionary to a new race that had been discovered. And I thought, that's weird. And sounds like something I might enjoy. So I bought it. And I read the first five pages. It was crazy, weird. I stopped. And so, I, I now listen to books a lot. I listened to over 30 books last year just driving around. Okay, And so, earlier this year, I had bought it, apparently, an Audible. And I thought, well, let's we'll put it on there and listen to it. And so I started to listen to it again. And it's this strange thing. He's saying goodbye to his wife. He's flying off. You don't really know his mission. You just know it, it, he's, a mission, he's, a, he's a pastor and... They actually depict him as a guy that loves the Lord and loves God's Word. And I was like, okay, this is a popular kind of, written by a popular 
um, European novelist, and so that's kind of strange, and so he's kind of got intrigued by that, and he goes to this planet, and they've starting to colonize it, it's set way in the future, and he goes to these people, and he thinks his job is to get there and to tell them about Jesus for the first time. And he gets there, and as he's going out there, he's praying about it, they give his prayers, he gets there, and he gets, I'm going to spoil this book that none of you are going to read, all right? And he gets there and he gets out and he walks up and they walk out and the guy starts to speak in broken English through this guy, the the alien race, begins to speak in broken English and he says, did you bring us the book? He said, what are you talking about? He said, the book of strange new things. The book that tells us about Jesus. Without getting into the full details of all that's going on there, there had been a missionary that had come before that had brought the Bible to them, and he had disappeared. That's the mystery of the book, apparently. I'm not there yet, but that's apparently the mystery. And he had taken the Bible with him, and they said, we cannot survive anymore without the book. And I'm like, what am I reading here? And yet it was convicting to me about how much do I treasure God's Word. Devour the Word like your life depends on it. Second observation, we're going to do this one quickly, but it's important. It comes in chapter 4, verse 1. Right after this, it's the next verse. It says, I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom. Now, Paul firmly believed that Jesus was coming in his lifetime, and we are now uh, 1,900 years past that. And he says, I solemnly charge you before God in Christ, who is going to judge the living and the dead. And he basically says, because of the quickness with which Jesus is coming because of the urgency of our time and an understanding of that because of the judgment that is coming on those that are alive and those that have not accepted Jesus that there is a dividing line in history between those that have been saved by Jesus and those that have and because the day is quickly approaching whether it is Jesus returning again or death coming for people at early ages or death coming at a normal age whatever it is the day is drawing quickly in the scope of eternity we have but a drop and a vapor in a moment and because of that because of the reality that one day we will all stand before God and we will be judged based on whether we have a relationship with Jesus Christ or not he says I solemnly charge you before God who is going to judge the living who is going to judge the dead and because the appearance of his coming this is what I want you to do and he gives them one word really but it's three in our language and it is this preach the word Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. Now he's speaking directly to Timothy. And preach the word here has a couple of meanings. First of all, it is for Timothy to preach the word faithfully to the congregation to which Timothy has been called as pastor. Okay, that's my responsibility is to make sure that what happens here on Sunday morning when we gather together for worship time Every week that what happens from this place is that the word of God is faithfully proclaimed to you. That is my responsibility. Even when someone other than me is standing here, it is my responsibility that it is done in a way that glorifies God and the word of God is preached faithfully to you. But it also has this connotation. Not only do you preach the word in the understanding of the original language to the congregation that is gathered together as God's people, but the word preach there isn't 
just the formalized telling of God's word to God's people in a gathered service. It is the proclamation in the streets of who God is and what he has done. It is proclaiming the word of God to people around us, which leads to this observation that we have. The second observation from this passage is this, is the world needs the word. We live in a world that is desperate for the reality of who Jesus is and the salvation that can be brought by only him. We live in a world that is actively rebelling against the God who loves them. We live among people that need to know about the love of God. We have family members, classmates, co-workers, People that you interact with every day at the grocery store and fast food restaurant and local restaurants and banks and businesses. Online. Increasingly, we live in a world that has less human face-to-face interaction. And yet, we still come in contact with people all the time that are in desperate need to hear the Word of God, to know That God loves them and there's a solution for the guilt and the shame that they have in their lives. The the lack of meaning and depth that they're searching for is answered in God's word through an understanding of who God is. David Platt tells the story of being in the eastern part of the world and watching a ceremony that was a burial ceremony. And what they would do is they would gather at a river and when someone had died, and this was a culture that did not believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, that he was a part of a group assessing how they might be able to reach this culture. And as they were there and visiting, there was a funeral that they did and they put um, out on the river, they would put these pallets with the people that had passed away and someone would light on fire the pallets of those that were floating dead in the river. And he said, in the midst of that moment, he said, God unveiled, revealed to me that I was watching both a physical and a spiritual reality for those that were dying without Christ. And you don't have to travel to the other side of the world to find people that's ultimate destiny lies in separation from God. For most of us in this room, we can step next door or across the street. You'll come in contact today if you go out to eat or do any kind of errands and running around. And Tomorrow morning or this week when you go back to work, you go back to school, you're going to be around people that that is their eternal destiny. A day is coming. And selfishly, I said, I hope it's sooner rather than later when Jesus is coming back. And when he does, he is going to judge. And at that moment, there are not second chances. It's have you trusted in Lord Jesus or have you not? Scripture describes it as a separation of the sheep and the goats. And the world we live in needs the word. The reason that the word of God is a foundation that we Put, establish our church on the reason that it is the authority that we work under is because we believe that it is the source 
for understanding what God intends to do for people. And we believe that it is our task to get that word and the story of Jesus to the world around us. So here's my challenge to you. Preach the word. That word preach, by the way, in the original language, at its essence, means to announce or proclaim. It doesn't mean three points and a poem. Y'all know I don't do that anyways. Sometimes I got 20 points. It does mean that you verbally tell people about Jesus. You announce it. The, the picture of heralding in the square, of going out and declaring who Jesus is to those around. The world needs it, and we are the source. That, that, that um, scripture I said earlier from Romans How are they going to believe if they do not hear? And how do they hear without the word of God? And how do they hear the word of God unless one is sent? It's our job to send and it's our job to go and it's our job to proclaim. My challenge is you today are to devour the word of God like your life depends on it because it does and to preach the word, proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. And if we have a group of individuals doing that, then we live up to our desire and our value to believe, to stand on, and to live under the authority of God's Word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have revealed to us through your Word who you are, how you have provided for us and how we can be saved. And Lord, we pray that you would allow the Word of God to read us, to inspect us, to correct us, to rebuke us, and allow us, Lord, to be able to live the life that you've called us to live. Lord, I pray if there is anyone here today that has not accepted you as their Savior, Lord, that if you were to come back this afternoon that they would not be found in relationship with you, would spend eternity separated from you. First of all, I pray, Lord, that you would make them uncomfortable in this place, they knowing that's the truth. Maybe they've been members of a church their whole life. They've been a part of a church their whole life, but they've not accepted you as their Savior. Lord, I pray that you would make that clear to them now. And I pray in this moment, Lord, that they would be open to surrendering, to hearing, to listening, to saying yes and asking you to save them. I pray in a moment when we have this time of response that they would come and talk with me and allow me to have a conversation with them about what that means. Lord, I pray that in this moment that they would be serious and real about the reality of their need for you. Lord, for those of us that are in this room that are followers of your Lord, we pray that we would devour your word, that we would eat it, that we would, we would desire it above all else. And Lord, that as we do that, that we would allow it to not just remain in us, but that we would proclaim it to the people that are around us, that we would preach it to those around us, that we would herald who you are. All of this, Lord, we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus, and ask for your glory and for the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.